following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. I'm Adam. And I'm Michael. And back in July of 2022, we lost a very special individual who was responsible for shaping Wizard and Toy Fair into the outrageous, inviting, informative, and entertaining publications that fans of comics and toys and pop culture in general just couldn't get enough of. That man was Pat McCallum. Uh, There were many tributes to Pat on various comic book websites, and especially on the Mommy's Busy blog, uh, run by former Wizard staffer Andrew Carden, which we encourage you to read. Uh, It was actually titled The Pat McCallum You Never Knew. But tonight with us are some people who did know him well. Joining us are friends and colleagues of Pat who are prepared to share their memories of this creative force whom we uh, all lost too soon. Our hope tonight is that we'll get to know Pat the human being as well as the gregarious voice of Wizard Magazine and all the joy and fun that he brought to people's lives. So allow me to first uh, introduce our panel here. Uh, Joining us, we have Brian Cunningham. We have Doug Goldstein. We have Mike Fasolo and Steve Blackwell. (laughs) And so uh, let me ask you this, guys, when you think back to your your first days uh, getting to know Pat, what was your first introduction to or impression of Pat McCallum? And uh, let me let me ask uh, Doug and Brian, because you guys also knew him back in the day when he was running a comic book store for the uh, Seamus family. So what do you recall about uh, early days of knowing Pat? Well, I'll go first, because I think chronologically, I I met him before Brian. I knew him before the comic book store. Um, I was working at a Ponderosa Steakhouse, which was my teenage job. And uh, I knew his older brother, David, who was working there first. And this was a restaurant that we just really fooled around and had a good time. It was kind of like the Wizard of Restaurants, except we probably broke health codes. (laughs) And one day, Pat joined, and I tried to fool around with him as well. And I don't remember how, but I do remember he had a very negative reaction. And I told him, geez, you're not nearly as fun as your brother, which I don't think he liked. <laughs> then, but then I tried again and I ran into the dishwashing room in the back where he was working at the time on the dishwashing machine with a full crock pot of water ready to douse him with it. It's a massive dishwashing machine that you would push racks of dishes through and they get cleaned in like two seconds but the racks were these big plastic mesh trays. So when I threw the water up in the air, he grabbed one of these trays to defend himself. But since it's mesh, the water just went straight through it and completely soaked him head to toe. And we looked at each other and we just lost it. Excuse me. We freaking lost it laughing because the situation- (laughs) Don't worry about it. If you you curse, it's okay. We'll let, it's no big deal. Well, fuck it then. All right, at least somebody broke the ice before me. Fantastic. <laughs> and so that was really Pat. Pat was in the center of a lot of fun insults, none of which mattered because we were all friends and the insults were funny. So you could do terrible things to each other, but it was all in fun and there was never any meanness to anything. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Brian, how about you? Well, the first time I encountered Pat, uh, I didn't realize it because... On a Halloween, it was Halloween night, 1987, 
87 or 80. Yeah, it was 87. And uh, a bunch of us got dressed up in costume. I went as uh, dead Robin because Robin had just died. <laughs> uh, and uh, we went to, to a comp the local comic book store. And, you know, and we brought a video camera. One of us had a video camera. Uh, so we're, we're taping our, you know, we wanted to, I guess whoever brought it wanted to see the reaction of the store owners and whatnot. So it, it was silly. And then, you know, I would say years later, we watched that videotape. And in the background, Pat was playing a video game while we were, you know, walking around the store in our costumes. So I didn't even know at the time that the guy playing the video game with an army jacket and and long hair was was Pat because he you know it was it was kind of weird but uh, but yeah it was it was uh, it was strange but otherwise I met him at the store I had heard from uh, a friend of mine hey there's this new store uh, it's even better than this other store you should check it out so I did and that's where I I officially met Pat and uh, we you know, we hit it off. He had similar tastes that I had. He would turn me on to these, these comics that I would not have otherwise have chose, uh, checked out. And uh, like, for some reason, the, old, the one that comes to mind is Dark Horse put out a comic book sequel to John Carpenter's The Thing. It was called, uh, they, they couldn't call it The Thing because Marvel trade, trademarked The Thing as a oh. title, but they called it The Thing from Another World. Uh, and it basically picked up right at the end of John Carpenter's The Thing and and basically continued that story in comic book form. And it was super fun. And from that mo moment on, I knew, you know, Pat and I were kind of copacetic in in taste uh, and and you know, pretty much anything he recommended to me, I would at least give a try. Wow. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Who wants to go next? Well, I think sequentially, Steve. that is me. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah. That would be Steve. So 1993, I, I, I joined Wizard the second week of October. So now here we are coming up on Halloween. And I'm just kind of getting to know the lay of the land. You know, you've been there just a couple weeks and uh, at this point, I was predominantly either helping Doug out on some special projects or working on a sports card magazine we did at the time, Sports Look. And we had this big bullpen office where most of the editorial staff and design staff kind of merged, and it was huge. There was probably about 12, yeah, between, I guess, nine and 12 people in there at any given time. And all of a sudden, there's this crazy, like, noise and racket as this giant gorilla comes running through the place, throwing candy at everybody and and just jumping up and down like a like a gorilla. And everyone's kind of thinks that's funny. And then the, the, the gorilla noises started to change and they started to become more human and more pained. And it became screams, screams of pain as he's running through the building, trying to find his way back to Brian in his office. He throws himself in there and finally manages to pull off the the mask and that's when he discovered he had the allergy to latex <laughs> so his entire face was on fire wow so a very exciting first real moment <laughs> with him wow that's amazing i thought you were going to tell the story uh steve about oh, well, uh i figure we get there oh okay <laughs> yeah we'll get there 
about the other gorilla? <laughs> no, well, no, no. There's another time he just burst into the big bullpen room. Yeah. And... All right. I'll, I'll set you that one up. All right. So maybe a year later, before we moved to the new building, there was a communal printer in that same bullpen room. And he comes walking down the office, out of his office, down the hall to the room, waiting for his printout. And he's just standing there and he's like, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he looks around the room and he catches people's eye and this, gets this smile on his face. And he's just like, <laughs> and he puts his arm in the air and a leg in the air and just goes <laughs> and lets his giant fart. <laughs> Tremendous. And he didn't know that behind him had walked in the new marketing girl, this cute little girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's laughing like he's so proud of himself he's like yeah yeah and he doesn't realize that we're laughing for a completely different reason than he expected so he's he's standing there all proud and all of a sudden he goes <laughs> turns bright red and just walked out <laughs> that was it that is wild that is, wow <laughs> all right mike uh, well, I can tell a story that it wasn't the first time I met Pat, but it was a couple weeks later when we were uh, having one of our, our wizard um, wrestling matches. Uh, we used to play on the N64, one of those crazy wrestling games. And uh, I was on a, on a team with uh, another one of the employees, uh, Glenn Portman. I think we were the champions and he, we were challenging Pat and somebody else for the, the title that night. And he pulled me aside and he goes, I got an idea. He goes, <laughs> how would you like it? If you abandoned Glenn and started to, to, you know, team up with us. And I was like, sure, why not? So we're playing this match and we're playing the match and it's going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Glenn and I are, you know, we're just about to beat it. And of course, I run out of the ring and I grab a chair and I jump back in and I just start wailing away on, on Glenn's character. And he's, he's going crazy. And this is, he's just, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm on the other team now. So the three of us, Pat, and I forget who he was teamed with. Uh, we just started wailing away on Glenn's character and we pinned him and, and that was it. And Glenn was very, very upset with me for <laughs> quite some time over that. Oh, no. um, but but it was great because we uh, we had Pat was was overjoyed that, that we could do that. It was just it was the, there was a huge thing in the huge explosion in the in the office. And it was just great. Everybody had a great time except Glenn who was sad. And, <laughs> that is well, awesome. That wrestling game. <laughs> that's was that's that so, was all Pat. Yeah. It was so addictive. And, and <laughs> like we, we went so far as to track down the Japanese imports and get the adapter for it because the Japanese imports were always like one step ahead and they were way more uh, kind of customized. Uh, and he, he made belts for yep. every weight class. And he would set tournaments up like a couple times a year, and and every like we we played every night, but we like Monday was like the special night, and there would be the times where he would do these envelope matches, <laughs> and it would be random. People would just get pulled into an envelope match, and if they won, he literally would would hand them an envelope with like two hundred bucks in cash in it. Whoa, it's money. Yeah, I'm like, what what are you doing? That's right. Those were good well, that, times. <laughs> that was something I was going to ask you guys about, because obviously we know that Pat was just a big wrestling mark, as they oh, say. He was a huge fan of wrestling. Is there a, like a Pat the pro wrestling fanboy story that sticks out to you the most? Well, aside like, from the video I don't know game. about that as much as it was stories like we're talking about here, where he's talking about introducing wrestling into the actual, like making the game feel more real. Like we, we he challenged fans at, at, wizard um chicago wizard world chicago and it was me and him because we were the undefeated champions 
And he's like, he starts to try and, and, and like he basically said, nobody can beat us. And then we start to wrestle and he starts to fool around. And I'm looking, I'm like, <laughs> we can't lose. <laughs> he's like, oh, come on. It'll be fun. I'm like, no. <laughs> now uh, on the, the gaming side too, because we know that Pat was a big gamer. Uh, was there like, cause you guys at different times would have like arcade cabinets in the office and things like that. Like, was there any particular uh, game that he was the most fond of or that you guys just remember a, a story around? Halo. Yeah, there was maybe for like a year. Halo. Every day after work, we would all run into his office. He had Halo set up with four controllers back in the days when you played multiplayer on the same screen. And we played until oh, and we, we we got the second Xbox and Toy Fair and we <laughs> right, right. able to connect them. So we had four on four going every day after work. For I, I don't know if I'm wrong when I say a year. It felt it like at least a year. forever. Yeah. It got to the point where you were even challenged uh Michael Turner, Pat one Pat and Michael Turner one on one. Yeah. Pat beat him. <laughs> That's wild. Okay. Uh, now, I also obviously we know that you know a lot of the humor that was featured in Wizard and Toy Fair and you know just in the Wizard Press publications uh, came from Pat. Everything was passing through him, and he'd add a little shine on there a lot of times. So, can you guys define a Pat style joke, or can you think of like was there a like a certain like joke that he just repeated all the time not like you know punchline joke necessarily but just pat style of humor when you think of it like what, what is the epitome of that did he start i like pie <laughs> he might have been there, the Frank for Miller absolutely balloon. no reason whatsoever in the early days there would be a word balloon on some random character and he's just saying i like pie for no reason. Uh... and then suddenly that just Kept showing up everywhere. I think the first time he did that was it was Frank Miller. It was a Frank Miller word balloon that just it just said, <laughs> I like pie. I thought that was you, Doug. I did, was that not you? Was it me? I, I thought that was your uh, your balloon. I don't. I can't oh, remember. You know, it was really funny, so that must have been me. <laughs> Had to be Doug. Had to be. I'll take that. <laughs> But like, was was Pat a physical type of humor? Like, where he get? I'm not. No, he's giving you noogies, you know. But did did he like to like tackle people, or was he no, more no, like quick witted like stuff? That, or, but no. practical jokes, practical jokes, and he was in a, in a really annoying way a humor perfectionist. Uh, as the guy who has to get these pages out the door, TTT was the biggest nightmare every time because he would end up rewriting that thing 400 times until literally it was the day before it had to go to press mm -hmm. and he's still making changes because it had to be perfect like toy for a theater right yeah okay so that that was like the one he wanted to get just right every time okay um i, I know we we've talked about a lot of the practical jokes on the wizard files as we've had everybody on individually to share various jokes and most of them revolved around pat but do you guys have one that is like personally to you that you recall like you know again pat being so proud of himself or like a certain pat reaction you know to whether it was on him sometimes i have to assume he got it back every once in a while no no <laughs> never you didn't no, dare no because here's the thing he had the the creativity the money and the time to go nuclear against anybody who did something to him. Am I wrong? No, he had a passion for it. It, it was what he lived for. 
So I, I think my favorite was the 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 body off the roof. You guys know <laughs> We've heard many angles, Steve, but we have not heard yours. So why don't you so, tell so, us so, your yeah, recollection? So me and Senreich were in on it. So Senreich is across the table from me. Now, design and editorial staff usually stayed at the window end of the table. We wanted to be far away from management as possible. <laughs> and Senreich was across from me towards the end of the table, and he had the walkie-talkie in his pocket. So the signal was going to be he clicks the walkie-talkie, and that was the signal for the guys on the roof to dump the dummy off the roof outside the window because the whole point of this practical joke was to screw with management. He wanted to completely make them freak the hell out. So he, Matt does the thing. The body goes off. Matt and I don't move. There's three people who did not react in that entire <laughs> off in that entire room at the time. It was me, Matt, and Joe Yanarella. Didn't react at all. Everybody else is up screaming, running for the windows. They're freaking out. Everyone's like, oh my God. And then they finally see it was a dummy. And and like then it becomes everybody starts laughing. And I'm looking at Joe and I'm like, were you in on it? He goes, No, I just don't give enough give enough <laughs> about anybody in this building to uh to have reacted. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that is the classic. That that feels like that was the pinnacle of how, how far can you take Pretty a practical good. joke? That's great. Now, the other question that I had was, you know, just kind of getting back to the world of comics. Obviously, Brian, you were saying that Pat had recommended certain comics to you when that was his job. But is there a particular creator or a particular book that you guys recall that Pat was like the biggest cheerleader for, whether it was a new thing happening during the era of Wizard or just in general, he would always point to this is how you do it this is my guy or this is my book this i have all the issues i, I can know. tell you right now brian do you do you have yours uh i mean to me we always talked about roger stern and john Romita jr amazing spider-man and we always talked about john byrne fantastic four yep those are it right there and 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 walt simonson thor those yeah. those kind of the trinity of pat's uh comic book love Okay. Did he get to, because, you know, obviously there were a lot of interviews happening. There were a lot of events and conventions and all those things. Do you guys recall a time where he got to meet these creators or he specifically made an effort to reach out to someone he admired? Like, did, did that, was he was one not, to get that, excited? That, that, um, that's not no. He no, was no. not a spotlight guy. He was not even on the stage as far as he was concerned. I think as much as he wanted everyone to have a good time and would elevate the amusement factor of any situation. He didn't have it centered around him in that way. He he wasn't trying to be the big man on campus to use a six-year-old term. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, he just wanted everyone else to be happy. He wasn't eager. He didn't have any uh, agenda for himself. There was like, no ego about it. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't running wizard to be like, yeah, I can meet all these people and I can do all this stuff. He's just having fun. So he always just stepped back and let other people meet everybody. And, and, and a lot of times, if he found out somebody on staff was a big fan, he would arrange it so they would get to do it. Oh, that's awesome. You love to hear that. Like and a lot of, I just want to say a lot of people probably met him at the conventions without realizing who he was. But at Wizard World, he didn't do panels. He didn't do interviews. He didn't you know, do anything special. But he created the Wizard Wheel of Doom that fans would play with him at the booth and just have a great time because it's a trivia thing that if you didn't know the answer, he would give you a physical challenge. He was the life of the party in that very specific, we're all fans together kind of a way. And, and that was it. Like, right. It, like for him, it was about really 
fanning the flames of that fandom and getting people excited. Nobody could generate excitement about even the most banal idea than Pat. Pat Pat can can tell a story about something and get a whole room fired up to be like, yeah, because mm-hmm. of how he could he could just stimulate that excitement in it. He also would walk around the convention dressed as Galactus and interact <laughs> yeah. with fans. Like the, they wouldn't know it was Pat. It was just, hey, it's Galactus who's going a little blue. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, he he would he would have a blast uh, in, in his anonymity playing, you know, yeah. this world devourer. And to that be frank, he would hate that we're doing this. <laughs> yes, he that absolutely is. would hate yep. it. But like emotionally picture this we there was one time we were doing a a top 50 aliens list for a a sci-fi thing we were doing and he was like oh put galactus high in that list and i started to argue with him saying this is this is not a comic book magazine in this case this is a sci-fi magazine and i gotta tell you from a sci-fi point of view galactus is a little a little goofy (laughs) and the look the look he gave me (laughs) the, the offense the hurt that I would think of such a thing. Uh, I mean, these these characters, these characters meant everything to all of us, but to him, that was not a joke. That that list did not turn out well because he would not he would not see the sci-fi. He didn't no take black. Long story. <laughs> Is that from sci-fi invasion, Doug? That was sci-fi invasion. Oh, yes. one, oh. Of our, one of our least popular magazines. <laughs> now, how many of you guys got to live with Pat? That's the question. Everybody yeah, got, but me. Yeah. <laughs> so what was Pat like as a roommate? You know, you go to work, he's the boss, and then you come home and he's your roommate. So <laughs> how did that work out for you? Uh, well, I thought I, it was pretty good. It was, it was yeah. Pat was always, no matter whether, whether he was at work or whether at home, he was still always, you know, wanting to do something that was exciting. And if we weren't playing, you know, wrestling as soon as you got home and, you know, had your dinner or whatever, then it was Mario Kart or some other, you know, watching some crazy movie with him. It was always, it was always centered around him, even though, you know, it wasn't focused on him. It was about him showing you, you know, having a great time, just having a good time with everything. Yeah. Yeah. He had people over to watch wrestling, you know, every, yeah. whatever night it was on. Monday. Uh, I mean, and you know, at the time there was, there was both WWE and WCW. So there were, there were a bunch of different nights where he would have people over just to watch that. Pat never turned Pat off. Like yeah. there was never a time where he would like grab a beer, lean back and watch a game. You know, it's like that he was always projecting his patness. There were <laughs> my favorite memory of, of uh, a late night video game is he and, and two of our friends at the time were over playing the turbo graphics. If you remember that system wrestling game, I can't remember, but this game had a slight flaw where if you picked up a wrestler and through him, another wrestler could catch him and throw him back. And the guy being thrown couldn't do anything about it. There was no way to stop that from happening. And Pat and our friend Vito started doing that to against our friend Richie and did not stop until no matter how much Rich complained, it maybe a half hour later, Rich just left. <laughs> and that that is the funny, the funny stuff that he's always doing. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> 
Uh, now, obviously, at your pad there, you guys threw a lot of parties as well. I mean, it just felt like there was always an event that we, the readers, were hearing about in the pages of Wizard Magazine in the bullpen section. So is there a Pat the Party Animal story or just a favorite moment that he created at one of the parties that you guys well, Halloween enjoyed? parties were always the hit. Yeah, the costumes. Yeah, Pat swung swung for the fences on everything. I mean, he I mean, the first Halloween party we had was was a big deal. And the, and when we got to the second Halloween party, he felt we had to, we needed to up the ante. So or actually, I guess it was technically the third because the first one was at when you and Pat were living together, Doug, at uh, Lake Lucille. Yeah. Um, so I guess technically this was the third Halloween party. Uh, but I mean, we had one of the one of the designers uh, who worked with Steve's, uh, Cindy Emmert. Uh, she was oh, a tarot Jesus. card reader. <laughs> so I mean, we asked her if she wanted to read the tarot cards at the party, and she agreed. And like that was probably the, one of the most popular things at the party. Everybody wanted their tarot cards read. Well, that uh, and, and wasn't that the same year Stuart was Hellboy? Yes, <laughs> every, every Stuart Stuart Morales painted. Uh, himself completely red to be Hellboy, and he took uh, spray paint caps and and put them on uh, on his forehead with a rubber band. And uh, every the, and he, the and worst part on. about it was he was covered in red paint, and the couches were white. Everywhere <laughs> he went, everywhere he we knew exactly where we could we could mark it. It was like a family circus trail. We could watch him. <laughs> we could see exactly where he went throughout the entire night. Oh man, it was crazy. <laughs> oh that it was also bobbing for stuff where we had yeah. a giant rubber made tote filled with ecto cooler uh just we just dumped in he must i think pat must have bought probably like a dozen jugs full of ecto ecto cooler and uh and we and he just threw a bunch of candy and stuff in there and uh donato, donato in the warehouse <laughs> he was intent on winning <laughs> he was going to win no matter what. And he just dove headfirst into this big, giant thing of ecto-cooler. Went all over the place. All That, that floor was sticky for years to come. <laughs> it was, it, oh man, that was, a, that was a night. That was a night, yeah. Uh, now, Mike, I think we've heard the story before, uh, but you were teasing earlier the gorilla story, which uh, I believe that took place story. on the premises, right? <laughs> so what was that about? Tell us that one. Well, that was uh, when we were living, all living in, in the uh, Franklin Lane house. Uh, it was me, Pat, Brian, were you there? I don't know if you were there at the time for the, the big gorilla. Oh, I was there. Right? So it was, yeah, yeah Brian was there. But Andrew and Pat had worked out this little system that they were going to pull a nice little practical joke on me. So it was just when, um, I forget which comet was, was going over. And Andrew's like, hey, you can really see it out in the backyard. You know, I'll, I'll meet you out there and, you know, we're going to take some pictures. But I was like, okay. Now, our backyard back then was just this huge expanse of land, pitch black, couldn't see anything. So I go out there, I'm wandering around, waiting for, you know, see something go streaking over. And often kind of off toward the fence, I hear this. Rah, rah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's a little strange. And then hear it again. Rah, rah. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm get a little worried. There's something else out here. And then out of nowhere, this thing just comes charging at me. <laughs> I go flipping out. I spin around. I go running back into the house. I'm sliding on leaves. I'm crashing into the tables, dive into the house, nearly having a heart attack. And Pat comes running into the house after me, dressed in the gorilla suit. 
And he and Andrew are in hysterics. <laughs> they thought this was the funniest thing. I'm dying on the on the ground, thinking I'm going to have a heart attack. And they are just in hysterics over this whole thing. And that was, again, that was Pat. He would go to, to <laughs> any length to pull one over on you. Oh. And yeah, that one uh, that one spread around the office quite quickly. And uh, yeah, the uh, the gorilla story became legendary. Support for Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. <laughs> and speaking of balls, Michael, we're so excited to have Manscaped as a sponsor. And I will tell you, not only me, but my wife. As soon as I mentioned that Manscaped was coming on board as a sponsor, she got very interested in my balls. <laughs> I'm just telling you, we've been having conversations. She is so excited about where my personal grooming has gone. From all the time we've been married, she's like, I can't believe you're so hairy. Well, dear, I'm trim and looking good just for you. But honestly, it is really improved her interest in this guy. <laughs> That's 100% true, by the way. As soon as I said Manscaped, she's like, what is it? I said, it's for your balls. She's like, really? You're going to trim your balls? I'm like, yes. My wife is like, what are you going to shave it into? Like a deep V? Or like, I'm like, I don't know. Bat symbol, maybe? Who knows? Michael, let me ask you this. How has Manscaped helped your confidence? Actually, it's really invigorated me like for personal grooming. And I'm a little bit of, I don't know, preppy nerd and you know i like to feel clean when i got this product and i started using it i feel great i really feel like a different person like you feel cleaner you feel more invigorated i really like it well here's the thing geeks manscaped sent us each the performance package 4.0 and it truly is a game changer like michael's telling us because inside this package you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer weed whacker era nose hair trimmer crop preserver ball deodorant crop reviver toner performance boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold your goodies so the lawnmower 4.0 is the future of grooming and dare i say the greatest ball trimmer ever you're not kidding their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000 Kelvin LED spotlight you need for a more precise shave. And because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to that mess on the bathroom floor. Now, the Lawnmower 4.0 is great, but here's the thing. You want to take your grooving game to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. And here is the thing, Michael. I have not been kind to myself when it comes to trimming those nose hairs because I'm not trimming. I'm yanking. Jeez. And man, ugh, it is, am I tearing up? Montana <laughs> torture right there. <laughs> So the good news now is with the Weed Whacker, I can use it and it's just, it's a smooth experience. It's over and done with. I don't have to dread cleaning out those nose hairs and the ear hairs too, because yep, as I'm getting older, they're growing out there too. So the Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes, even those self-imposed tugs. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds like a personal problem there. <laughs> Their crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver ball toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I tell you, fellas, from somebody who works in New York City and walks like six or seven miles a day, by the end of the day, I need that ball deodorant because it can be rough. Your balls will thank you. Trust me from someone who's used it. It is fantastic. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts with their performance package 4.0 manscapes boxers and their shed travel bag bring your comfort and boxers to another level it's time to take care of yourself so go to manscaped.com and get 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping with the code wizards 20 get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code wizards 20 at manscaped.com that is 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code wizards 20 unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped now back to the show just as we're trying to get to know pat a little bit better as well here if you were walking by his room he's driving to work you know you go by his office like was there a band that he like you know we're like andrew carded loved his twisted sister right <laughs> is there a band or music that you associate with pat or was that not his thing i think the only band that stands out to me that he would respect and listen is were the uh like dozzy yeah uh, like dozzy I was going to say, like, um, who the hell did um, Wayward Son? Um, oh, Kansas. Yeah, he loved that song. <laughs> and he, like, Groove is in the Heart by whatever the hell. <laughs> <laughs> it was so goofy. I remember he liked that I'm Blue, Bada Be So. <laughs> he play that all the time. He liked weird stuff. <laughs> you guys kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier up top, but we've heard in the past that Pat really did his best to help out people in the office when needed just to, you know, do what he could do in, in any way. Do you guys have a story about him helping somebody else or is, can you think of something that Pat really did for you that helped you in your life or just at that time in your life? I mean, but, but that's the thing is it's not like it, it ever stopped. Uh, yeah. Just he and I go to lunch every day and just the, the most basic stuff like, Oh, we're on deadline. When we're done eating, we'll stop at the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory and he'll drop like a hundred bucks on chocolate and bring it back, put it on the water cooler for everybody. Stuff like that. Like that was just what he would do. Like all the art, there's these giant Alex Ross DC posters from back in the day. He he just would just when when new ones would come out, oh, the office needs to look nice. People need to feel good about where they work. So you take the money out of his pocket. We'd bring the things to the frame shop during lunch, pick them up later in the week, and then we'd come and hang them. So, you know, between me and him, we we hung almost all that stuff in the that was in the lobby and all down the hallways. Mm. And it all came out of his pocket. That wasn't something a Seamus would, you know, they 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 wouldn't put a premium on that. That's Pat. He's Some editor at DC cool. Comics posted a story, and Brian, please take over if, if you're aware of the story, where they were admiring a certain statue in his DC Comics office when he was working there. And Pat said, you really like that statue? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, it's yours. And the guy was like, what the hell are you talking about? It's mine. It's you, it's a statue that's in your office. And Pat was like, yeah, but you, you love it. So it's yours. And that is just, you know, everything we're saying, he just wanted people to be excited and happy about this stuff. And especially because he knew, you know, a lot of times their you know, working conditions could be challenging. So he felt like it was the least he could do to make people feel good about where they were because people to this day at DC still loved the fact that every week he brought donuts to everybody. Every floor of the building, every DC floor, he brought donuts to. 
Yeah. Well, and speaking of which, I wanted to ask, Brian, for those who don't know, I mean, obviously all of you are aware of it, but like for those who aren't aware of Pat's post-wizard career at DC Comics, can you kind of explain the types of projects he had a hand in, what he influenced and what he was involved in there? Yeah, uh, sure. When we, we, when DC uh, was about to embark on the new 52 relaunch uh pat was hired not long before that probably a few months because uh, we we needed a we needed a an on-ramp uh to get there but pat was uh pat shepherded uh the aquaman uh launch um with jeff johns and ivan rice and joe prado uh and rod reese uh basically you know he championed that script. Um, you know, management was not uh, was not in love with that uh, first script. Uh, so, you know, he went to bat uh, for Jeff and the team to not dismiss it. And and basically, what you read in Aquaman number one is that is that direction. Uh, so, you know, and and it turned out to be among the most popular launches of of the new fifty two. Another launch that he was heavily involved with was Adam Glass's run on Suicide Squad. Adam wanted to include Harley Quinn in on the team, and and Pat championed that as well. So management may have been more on board with that, um, but either way, Pat was the one who uh, you know was the first was he was the first person to say yes, that's a great idea. I'm going to take this and let's see what we can do with it. So. Harley Quinn being on the the Suicide Squad and being in the movies, you know, it may never have happened if Pat had squashed it from the get go and said to Adam, nah, I don't, I don't think so. But he saw a good idea. Uh, you know, he knew a good idea when he saw it. So, um, so I mean, those two stand out. I mean, and he, he championed a lot of things along the way, you know, some of which didn't work out, but some of them did like uh, deceased uh, deceased was Ben Abernathy before he joined uh, editorial, uh, I should say rejoined editorial. He was working at talent relations at the time, but he wanted to do this, this series. And, you know, Pat recognized that this could be fun. Uh, so, you know, a lot of fun things didn't happen a lot. Something, you know, when they think things just fell by the wayside for whatever reason, but for, for this one, Pat really went to bat for it, and it turned out to be a good thing. It, uh, people like it. Uh, it. It's had many sequels. Um, it's my know, favorite it, DC book by far. Like it is the best one right now. I love that story. Yeah, and and you know Ben Abernathy brought that forth, and and that book kind of paved the way for Ben to rejoin editorial as the uh, Batman Group editor. But deceased was something that Pat and Ben kind of tag teamed on to get that going, and uh, you know it, it was it, DC was the better for it. Yeah, and like you guys said, you know, Pat didn't like the spotlight. He wasn't going to tell everybody about all his accomplishments. I'm curious for you, is there a talent of Pat's or something he contributed to just in the world of comics through Wizard, through whatever medium he had that you guys recognize and say, you know, I don't think most people know about this or more people should know about this? Well, I, I think it comes down to what drove him. What drove him was when he would see something he could inherently see how to make it better and he wanted to make it better and that goes for everything like you know the the initial idea for wizard was that black and white price listing 
Okay, that 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 would have been fine for you know a, a you know one store to to put out for its customers, but you know he saw something better. I mean, and this extended to everything he ever did. Our our wrestling league, like he made belts, he made a thing of it, the, the foosball. He bought a giant like four foot trophy and would put a tournament together and put emblazon people's you know teams names on it things like playing hero clicks hero clicks he couldn't leave it at two dimensions he built cities that had breakable walls and floors and subways and he, he, he everything he took to that next level and made it better and it's the same thing when it came to storytelling same thing when it came to ttt same thing anything creative he put his hand on he wanted to make it the best it could be he also was very into what, what's right and wrong about the quality of the industry. And if something disrespected comics, and I, I don't know if that's the right word, but like he was very much behind the entire wizard campaign to trash like the spider clone saga. You know, sometimes the magazine took a stand on some things and sometimes the combo companies didn't appreciate a, a, a thumbs down uh, that, and, and you know, it's never like we had a big article saying things like, Spider clone, what a piece of crap. <laughs> but, you know, whenever Spider-Man was there, he would have a word balloon saying, yeah, you can clone my ass or, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> um, because what they did in that storyline really was not okay to Pat or to any sensible comic book fan, really. <laughs> I remember even a time where there was a comic book that he didn't think should have been successful, but it ended up on like the top 10 hottest comics list. And when he wrote the write-up for that, he said, how do you become successful? I guess you do this, this, you do a wizard one half issue, which was our exclusive comics, and blah, you end up on the wizard top 10. Yeah, that, that was Gen 13, Doug. And J. Scott Campbell then wrote in the, the letters column of Gen 13 a rebuttal to everything Pat had said, and he like chewed out wizard. It was crazy. But that, that yeah. caused quite the scene internally, because what do you do criticizing your own projects? But that, Pat was like, it's true. I feel this way. And he was not a political person. He wasn't like, you're right. I should I should stomp that out because it's not good. He, he didn't think that way. Everything is everything, Doug. Yeah, I, I think the politics of the business, because as Wizard grew in success, the politics of the business got a little messier and Wizard became more entwined on the business end you know, because it was it was all very symbiotic with Wizard, Marvel, DC, Image, Valiant, you know, Tops, you name it. Like all these companies uh, would advertise. They would, uh, you know, they would spend money at our conventions. They, I mean, there was a lot of business aspects that wore on wore on all of us. But I don't think it wore on on anyone as much as Pat, who uh, is is the opposite of compromise in terms of you know if 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 it, if there's a compromise if there's a compromise for the wrong never reasons, be your integrity and yeah. that was the thing he, he there was too many people willing to compromise in way too many ways uh that made that did just completely were were they lacked integrity i mean it was just that's that's the simplest way to put it and and that 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 angered him uh in a lot of ways. And I think that's ultimately what broke his heart about wizard um, and made him ultimately, you know, pretty much want to want, want to leave is yeah. because we were held to a different standard than other parts of the, the, the business. 
and we were the ones who actually were the you know it was the voice of the business you know the people who were in other parts never like they didn't speak to the public they didn't speak so i think that really that bothered him a lot well i also think that he was never ever one to take the easy route you know because if if there was something easy it wasn't worth doing yeah so i mean and and that's where i think a lot of uh, it got a little messy internally because uh, you know the easy way became the standard bearer for some some of the different divisions and it was i I also honestly he wanted to be the like he always wanted to be the voice of fandom right because he was a fan right and i think once we got to a certain point as a company he felt like we 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 could no longer be critical when we should be because we were being told that that's bad for business and for him he goes like he he would look at it and say yeah but we're, we're here for the consumer yeah, and it was trying to rectify those kind of areas, I think, that really were hard. One of the biggest conflicts I remember was that Toy Fair Magazine had a joke. I think it was Toy Fair Magazine had a joke in one of its Twisted Toy Fair theaters that some mother somewhere got very offended by, wrote Walmart that she didn't appreciate it, and Toy Fair was taken out of Walmart. And the the sales team at Wizard Entertainment lost their minds. And for a short while... Uh, the sales team were allowed to first see the humor stuff before it went out. That caused fights like you've never seen. And to his credit, uh, Fred Pierce, the guy that was basically, you know, the Dick Cheney of of Wizard, (laughs) um, uh, he sided with us. I mean, after that first kerfuffle with that one joke, every time the sales team was like, they can't say this. And we were all, you know, Pat was like, it's not offensive. It's funny. Fred agreed with us to the point where the sales department gave up. And that's that's to Pat's credit. Like that, don't tell him he can't be funny. I mean, holy cow. I mean, it's the whole that was the whole reason anybody ever bought the magazine. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, that definitely I know I can speak from personal experience. If there had been no humor in Wizard, and especially, you know, the humor that appealed to me at that age, you know, I definitely well, and stuck that was with the thing it. too. Like Everywhere he could put something, he wanted something in there. Like even, I don't know if you paid attention to things like the fine print and contest you guys have mentioned before, but even in the masthead, there, there's always, there was always running gags even in the masthead and in the indicia. There was always something hidden in there. Just to, So if somebody took the time to read it, they got their money worth. <laughs> well, that way, got us in trouble though. That that got us in trouble once. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Doug, was this? Were you involved in this? Uh, the we're, contest we're doing one? the ingredients of uh, of spam. <laughs> <laughs> we we wrote that we wrote that there's rat hair in spam, and uh, believe it or not, the lawyers from Hormel were not pleased. That wasn't me. We had to run a retraction on that. Doug, one. Doug wasn't me. <laughs> I, I want to point, I, I just have to share this. I remembered one of the biggest arguments about that humor thing that we had with the sales department. There was a twisted toy fair theater where the X-Men go back in time and everybody had like a golf ball afro. <laughs> and so then, but at the end, we're forward in time again. And Professor X is like, oh, that's right. I'm bald. And then he shoots himself in the head because he's so upset he's bald. <laughs> <laughs> And the sales team is like, you can't tell bald people they should kill themselves. <laughs> and Pat couldn't function because 
how do you how do you respond to that? <laughs> uh, God. Awesome. Now, I, I have to ask you guys, so, you know, we talked about the stuff you'd get passionate about, the stuff, you know, that he would butt heads about. But if you were picturing Pat in like his happiest moment, whether it was something you actually witnessed and you could think back, just the smile on his face at this time, or you could just imagine putting him in the scenario that you think would make him just the happiest. But what would that be? What would he be doing? For, for, for me, it's always involving him laughing at another mutual friend's expense. Uh, th th just somebody doing something absurd and just Pat reveling in that absurdity. Pat would uh, uh, take great pleasure in taking a dry erase marker, go to a dry erase board, <laughs> and draw a caricature of Doug fully naked, <laughs> completely naked, except for uh, a very tiny, tiny fig leaf uh, covering up the naughty bits. And then he'd give him a word balloon, and he would be like, meh. <laughs> and, and for some reason, he That's... would do that all the time. And uh, both of us would, Doug would be in the room, it would be the three of us, and we would lose it. Except for Doug, who is struggling not to, who is struggling not to to laugh. But I didn't appreciate. By the, the way, that man is is one of my favorite wizard sound effects. <laughs> what was it he did with one of your new uh, uh, notebooks, Brian? Oh yeah, for a birthday gift, he bought me a blank uh, notebook, which I actually, I, you know, I, well, I'll, I'll show, I'll share it in a moment, but he. Um, he uh it, like it, i don't know let's say it was a hundred page blank notebook on like page 90 in the center of the page very tiny he he wrote caco <laughs> <laughs> i have that somewhere but how long did it take for you to discover that uh, what his shot of that uh i looked for it he also used that. to do things like if he saw an action figure that he thought looked like somebody he would customize it. So, like, he took this Predator figure and he put a, a scar on his chin and put a Yukon sweatshirt on him, and that he gave it to me. <laughs> Custom Blackwell. That's nice. Did that ever appear in uh, Twisted Toy Fair Theater? No, back right no. Now, no? <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I mean, this has been fantastic. But, I, you know, as we close out here, if there's anything else you feel needs to be said, any other memories that have come to mind i mean obviously you, you've given us an insight that like you say uh pat probably would never have allowed any of us to know uh so we we really appreciate you sharing that so we can uh you know really uh celebrate him all the more but was there anything else you'd like to to leave us with i owe him everything uh he was just one of the best people i've ever had in my life uh and i've never been with somebody whose creativity was so contagious that like you literally came away from every interaction on like cloud nine of creativity with him i mean there was just and and his generosity of spirit it was unparalleled and i miss him a lot yeah he definitely changed the attitude of everyone around him towards let's have let's have a good time yeah and you have to picture a bunch of like-minded nerds working together in their 20s when they have they don't know what to do with their money they have more time and energy than than they should and they have nothing holding them down like there's no one saying you got to come home on time so every, we we all just were inspired by his attitude and the whole place just became 
this wonderful madness that without him, it it would not have been. No. And those were easily the best years of of you know, I hope my, my wife isn't here, but you know, it's it's <laughs> like the best years of, of my life is just it's it's it it's, was a dream situation. Yeah. I, I don't even want to call it a job. It was a dream situation. Like like working with these guys, because every single one of these guys is it, like the, these are brothers to me. They're they're not friends. And because of Pat, he brought us together and made us brothers. Yeah. yeah. We didn't realize how good we had it at the yeah. time. You know, it's uh it it's amazing to me that whole period is it, it I, i'll never have anything like that again yeah, and we it's... there was nothing we couldn't accomplish i mean that was the thing somebody threw an idea out and they're like oh and we need it done in a week and it wasn't like we can't do it it was all right roll up your sleeves let's come up with some ideas and we sit there and figure it out and get it done we did amazing shit on a shoestring budget that like if people knew how little we had to work with uh, I, I think they would be even more amazed. Yeah, it's one of those places where you actually enjoy getting up and going to work every day. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much again for joining us and uh, and sharing those memories of Pat. And uh, we certainly uh, will miss him. And we're grateful that he was here in this world and all that he did bring uh, during his time here. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I so. want to thank you guys for keeping this stuff alive, man. I really do. I think it's pretty cool yeah well thank you that's yeah. a, that's a very nice compliment i appreciate that it's yeah it really is our pleasure and, yeah, uh, we, it, it, we really enjoy ways, it yeah it, it is a tribute to pat in, in everything we're doing and what he created and what you guys all created together we just want to make sure that that doesn't get forgotten so you, you know right. what it is also it's 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 sort of like a, a window into like not just our history but your history as well and like the 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 time at least you know especially in the 90s it's almost like frozen in its own sort of bubble and all of that stems from you guys and and pat and it's really it's interesting to see that from a different lens now as you know 40 year olds and looking back at it when we were laughing at it when we were 12 year olds you know (laughs) i knew you were gonna laugh you're like like oh these jerks are 40 years old oh god (laughs) babies at 40 dorks at 40 wish All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye, boys. Bye-bye. All right, Michael. So, wow, what a special event. What a special person that we got to celebrate. Now, one thing that we've talked about is, you know, you are a part of the show, but uh, you were not as obsessed with Wizard Magazine reading every inch of it uh, like I was back in the day. And you have told me in the past that Pat McCallum wasn't the first name on the list when you thought of Wizard Magazine. But now we've gone through this. We've been covering the magazine that he was shepherding for all those years. Uh, and so what what is kind of your takeaway from this event? So it's a funny thing. So, uh, you know, since you've planned to do this tribute... I I was racking my brain a lot because I'm sitting there. I mean, everybody knew who Garrett was and you know, like it was just synonymous with the magazine and so on. But like as a kid, I wasn't really fully familiar with all the the artists and people involved in comics and 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 Wizard magazine. But hearing their stories, right? And and seeing those stories played out by them and remembering them from the issues we've covered as well as ones I've read as a kid, I didn't realize how many things that he was involved in that we got to experience. Like, you know how Twitter has no filter, you know? It's almost like 
he didn't want to hold anything back, right? He's like, oh, we had all these goofy things happen in the office. I want the world to know this goofiness too. Like they didn't want to just be this magazine. They wanted to be themselves as well within that magazine, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is amazing, again, because that's what we hear time and time again when we have guests on the show. Like, they talk about it was a community, right? Especially for people who were living in small towns and couldn't even get to a comic store. They had to go to the grocery store and grab what they could. Like, he was opening up a whole world, but also doing it in a way that was inviting to everybody, just like, the you know, all his friends from Wizards just told us. They're like, he made everything better. He made everything special for everybody. And I think the magazine attests to that. What I also find very interesting is how many people that worked there, he gave a place to live, you know, like, like, could you think of a boss you've ever had in your life that said, hey, oh, you need an apartment here, you can live with me for a little while to get yourself settled, like, like, that's unheard of, but that's, that's pretty wild. And, you know, he, I, you know, I wish I got to know him a little bit. And he seems like a pretty special dude. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at it like i said you know through a different lens now and just watching these four gentlemen talk to us about him they got teary-eyed they laughed you know it was a very rewarding and fulfilling for me as almost like a, a spectator because i, I kind of wanted to sit back and listen to their stories and and as opposed to kind of butt in and, and ask questions and it was interesting to just feel their emotion in the in that time you know and as you know, I have no problem butting in. So I was happy to ask the questions. But no, but th that's wonderful that, that you were able to, to get that takeaway from it. And here's the thing. Like they said, you know, there were few moments when people could meet Pat McCallum, but the conventions and the Wheel of Death was one of them. If you had a Pat McCallum interaction at some point, if you remember meeting him, uh, you, you know, one of the, the lucky few who got to interact with Galactus at a con or whatever it was, we would love to hear that in the comments below. Or you can always share your stories with us. You can uh, find us on Twitter at Wizards Comics or on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics if you even have pictures. You could even just write in a story to wizardscomicspod at gmail.com. We'd love to read it, you know, on a follow-up episode, one of our uh, half episodes, maybe. Uh, so it, this was just something that we, like I said, had, we, it was in the works for a long time. We wanted uh, everybody, you know, to have a moment to to grieve and then to celebrate. And so we're glad that we got to do that uh, for Pat. And we hope that this was something that you all enjoyed. And of course, uh, we will continue to cover Wizard Magazine in all its glory and many of uh, Pat's other projects, like like Toy Fair, and uh, I mean, he had his hand in all of it. So we're excited to uh, to celebrate him that way. But thank you again for joining us. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. of the Retro Network.